You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. And yes, this is the second guest of my show whose radically life-altering book has an F-bomb in the title. And yes, it does make me wonder if cursing is like a vitamin for the soul. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. I am pumped that one of my favorite plant party products on the planet is sponsoring this episode. If you've spent but a few secs skimming my Instagram or binge watching my YouTube channel, which you should, by the way, if you haven't, but when you do, you'll see that Sun Warrior plant protein powder is the Kanye to my West, the bees to my knees, the Wilson to my castaway, something I would not want to live without. When I'm looking for a way to make my smoothies actually fill me up so I don't need a follow-up snack a few minutes after finishing my smoothie, I blend in Sun Warrior because I don't want to get bloated, gassy, or feel crappy after consuming protein powder. I use Sun Warrior. Because I am not a fan of protein powders with weird, chalky textures and nasty flavors, I use Sun Warrior. See, it's no wonder I blend Sun Warrior protein powder into every smoothie I make and bake it into almost every baked good I bake. If you want some recipes for doing the same, head to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash partyinmyplants. Click subscribe and you'll get an epic, easy Sun Warrior plant protein recipe in your inbox every month. And if you want to get your mitts on Sun Warrior for 15% less than the rest of the world pays to get their mitts on it, just use the code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on their site, sunwarrior.com. Again, in case you sneezed as I said that, I said you can use code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on sunwarrior.com to save 15%, my friend. The end of the sponsorship thing. I mean, let's get into the meat of the episode, or not meat, the tofu of the episode. <laughs> If Caroline Dooner's name rings a bell, it's probably because you've heard of her book or her massive movement, both called The Fuck It Diet. Yes, she may have given me more than one anxiety attack as I listened to her long and yo-yoing journey with dieting, but the way she now shits on the inherent flaws of dieting and diet culture, which she backs with so much sound science, thank you very, very much, Caroline, is just so relatable to so many people. As a fellow past-life comedian, Caroline's humor, coupled with her compassion, with, again, lots of research, allows her to fearlessly call out all the BS and misinformation that makes us make eating so hard for ourselves. So be prepared to wage no more wars with your grub after you listen. A big matcha latte cheers to making the fuck it diet the last diet you ever tried. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast. Talia, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, this was such a big get. You are killing it right now. Your book is traveling by the word of mouth <laughs> gods. It's on Instagram <laughs> everywhere. And I, I mean, I can just feel the energy radiating out of your book. It's one of those books where someone clearly, someone you, clearly put their soul in in it as, you know, with the purpose of changing life. Like I can feel it 
And I'm very excited. It's electric. Thank you. That means so much. That really means so much to hear. Yeah. I'm not just tooting your horn up top here. I mean it. I feel it. So let's get into it. So first and foremost, you say straight up that eating should be easy. Let's start with an easy question here. Eating should be easy, but it's not easy. Why do you think eating's not easy? I think it's not easy because we don't trust ourselves. And I think one of the really quick dysfunctional cycles that we get into is when we're under eating and then we become obsessed with food and super, super hungry. And we crave more and more and more things, especially things we think we shouldn't have. And then we either kind of shut that down even more. And then that hunger kind of gets even worse or we binge and we feel horrible about ourselves and then put ourselves on another stricter diet with, you know, even less food, or we try to compensate and we get into this cycle where we start to prove to ourselves that we're a food addict and that we're totally out of control. And we don't realize that by not eating enough food, we are creating that, that monster and that it's actually in place to save our lives. Like if that wasn't in place, we would have died out Mm. long, long ago. So because of this, and then it kind of becomes this whole, I mean, we live in a culture where we just we're so afraid of calories and we're so afraid of body weight. Like we demonize body weight. We demonize anything that's not super, super tiny. We equate, you know, body weight and thinness with health. And it's become this cultural dialogue. It's become the cultural belief. And so there's so much supporting this growing belief that we are food addicts and that we're out of control with food and that we have to diet even harder. But that is keeping us in this place where we feel completely out of control with food. We do not believe that eating is easy because we are monsters, you know, (laughs) and we feel like food addicts and and that's what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I have learned and what I have found and what I've seen is that truly feeding yourself food and calories and trusting your hunger honestly heals a lot of the the mania and obsession and huh, hunger <laughs> feeding yourself cures your hunger like breaking news you heard it here first folks <laughs> but the weirdest thing is that like and i remember in my major diet mindset where i was like i'm going to diet so well that i'm not hungry anymore like i believed that that was the goal and and i was told that that was possible and good you know, to just lose your hunger. Yeah. The cravings were this horrible problem that Mm. being hungry for food was a sign that something wasn't right. So it's this weird thing where it's like, it's all about like suppressing hunger, suppressing cravings. And I mean, people find my site by Googling, I'm so hungry. What do I do? No way. Yeah. No And and it sounds crazy. How do you know that? Oh, you can see like the search terms in my WordPress. You're kidding me. They, wow. Yeah. I mean, they also search for like food fuck, you know, (laughs) and they find me and I'm sure they don't like my site, but, uh, yeah, lots of porn searches land on my site. Yeah. That's the, that's one of the downsides. Oh my God. So like food porn fetish people come to your site and then get really bummed. Get really pissed (laughs) off. Yeah. Um, but a lot of like intuitive eating doesn't work. What do I do? I'm so hungry. What do I do? How do I, you know, not be hungry essentially. And I remember feeling that way. I remember being like, what is wrong with me? Like I am so hungry. I can't stick to this, 
you know, very restrictive low calorie diet, there's something wrong with me. Like, what can mm-hmm. I do? How can I be even more extreme and heal whatever deep problem there is? So it's stepping out of that paradigm and understanding that calories and food and feeding yourself is actually, it will, we're so afraid, right? We're so afraid that we're just going to spin into abandonment and chaos for the rest of our lives. And that that's the most unhealthy thing we can do. But when you begin to trust that your hunger is actually there for a reason and you begin to feed it, it does kind of feel a little out of control for a little while. But what people often see is that that alone kind of like flips a switch in the brain where this food fixation that so many people believe that they're food addicts or obsessed with food or Mm -hmm. like the, the, you know, total food gluttons. And that's why they put themselves on diets. But to see that actually feeding yourself is able to kind of calm that down is, is amazing. And the opposite of what we think. And the scary thing is that you somehow you have to, you have to actually do it before you can prove to yourself that it will also work for you, which is very scary for people, understandably based on everything that we believe about food and eating and appetite and hunger and health but that there's actually a chemical hormonal shift that happens when we're not eating enough food that may we're wired to be obsessed with food. We're wired to crave food more food tastes better when we're not eating enough food. Our metabolism slows down. It also slows down short term, just like if you haven't eaten for like many, many hours. And that's just like a natural way that your body's kind of conserving energy until you eat again. But if you do it often, if you're like chronically under eating, it'll chronically be slowed down to, to save your life essentially. Mm-hmm. And we're also wired to put on weight really quickly in that state. And of course, we think that that's such a horrible thing and it's proof that we need to diet even harder, but it's actually just the body being like, thank God you ate, like, let's protect ourselves in case this happens again. Yeah. So kind of turning that on its head and, and I, you know, I've read so much science on it and I put it all in my book and of course, like I, I say that I have data amnesia because I've read so much but the way that my brain works is then like filtering that down into, okay, like basic metabolism logic, like what are we doing to ourselves in the big picture? And then when I wrote the book, like I've been writing about this for seven years and I've been applying this to myself for seven years. When I wrote the book, I was like, oh shit, like I have to go back and do all that research again because I, I have to actually put it in the book. Like, uh, like I've yeah, back in my brain and I've like, you know, referred to it in blog posts, but I needed it all to be in that place. So thank God it is. I, that was like my least favorite part of it because yeah. I just, my brain doesn't work that way. The thing is, I know how important it is. Like, I really know, I knew how important it was for myself to read like, oh, this is real. Like, I'm not just making this up. Like, our bodies really do respond this way to not eating enough food. Mm-hmm. And so I knew how important that would be to other people reading. But it's all there. It's just not really the, like, actual studies aren't always in my brain. <laughs> we give you a pardon. No problem. <laughs> okay, so even just the monologue you just had. The passion is just palpable. And that's what is so electrifying about your book and all your posts on Instagram. Like, I think it's very tangible for everybody that you stand so firmly behind your words and your messages and helping people. That has to come from a place where you were struggling hardcore, that you overcame and you're channeling that struggle because you don't want anyone else to ever struggle like you did again. Tell me about your story. Okay. When I look back, it's really interesting. I was a very thin child, so I never thought about weight when I was young until puberty, but I did grow up in a what we would call a health nut 
uh, household, which I don't demonize that at all. I totally understand. I'm sure if I had kids, I would go through my own experience of figuring out how to like not be, you know, to, you know, give them a good relationship with food. But my brother and I were obsessed with what we called junk food because we felt denied, even though we weren't like, we still went to McDonald's. We like, we actually weren't as denied as we felt, but just compared to our friends. And so we basically had binging disorders or like major obsession with food. And we would eat as much as we could when we had the chance. And so I sort of had this like belief in my head, like it was funny to me because I was so thin, which is of course such a shame because somebody else would have had the, and many, many people do have the exact same experience, except because at a young age, they're in a bigger body. It, the whole like dysfunction and all of the kind of dieting cycle starts up so much earlier. For me, I was able to avoid that as a child until I was a teenager. I started going through puberty. I started gaining like a normal amount of weight. But to me, it was very overwhelming. And also I was then diagnosed with PCOS, which is a oh. hormonal imbalance. I really genuinely at this point believe that PCOS is an umbrella term for many different kinds of hormonal disorders. They don't really know what to do about it. They sort of put it under one umbrella and uh-huh. like IBS kind of just exactly, like, a, uh-huh. exactly. If they're like, Oh, it's a hormonal disorder. And they're like, there are many, many symptoms that you only have to have like a couple of them to. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's, they don't know how to treat it. They don't treat it. In fact, they blame it on weight. Oh, which completely diverts people's attention to the wrong place. People start obsessing over their weight, thinking that's going to cure them. And it inherently doesn't and can't. Right. And like, and some people, you know, one of the symptoms is weight gain with PCOS, which for me, it actually really wasn't, but I was so afraid of that because we live in a culture that's so obsessed with that. And they, they sort of tell you that weight is causing it, but weight is also a side effect. So make sure you don't gain weight and make sure you start dieting. So at 14, this wow. is like what's in my brain. So I was like, okay, wow. you know, I'd never dieted before. So I was like, I'm going to do it. Like, sure. You know, this is my, I can do it. I'm just <laughs> going to be super militant about it. I'm not going to eat any carbs. Uh, it was like 2002. Okay. Uh, Adkins was like coming back for in full swing. Nice. Low carb South was, Beach. Yeah. So I did South Beach right after yep. when I was 15, I did South Beach, 14, I did Atkins. So I very quickly, you know, I started dieting. I'd be super, super religious about it for a couple months and I would inevitably binge, go off the rails, gain lots of weight really, really quickly because that's what happens to you when you restrict food and then you binge like mm-hmm. that's the natural yo-yo there. And so very quickly, I was like, oh, shit, right. I forgot. I have a food obsession. Like, I remember, like, when I was a child, I already knew I had a food obsession. And now now this food obsession is making me unable to diet. Where did that come from? Where did you get that idea? Oh, wait, I have a food obsession. It's from when I was young and I, like obsessed with binging on food with my brother, like binging on junk food. And my oh, mom was like, oh, my, my kids are obsessed with food. Because we were. But, like, compared to our friends who had pantries full of gushers. Food. Yeah. Yes. Gushers. I, I was know. literally going to say gushers. Oh, I know. Well, I, I wasn't allowed. Gushers. I know. I was like, this is amazing. Okay. I wasn't allowed to have gushers, but my best friend was. So I would always <laughs> go over there and get the gushers. And then I was going to say yeah. gushers. Ah, that's amazing. Gushers. So you know, funny. I, those, my, listen, 
Lesson for the moms. Do not deprive your child of gushers. Just let them have gushers because it my friends didn't care. They yeah. didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I would go over their house and we would Same. have a snack and they'd be like, okay, what do you want to do now? And I was like, give gushers. Like I was obsessed. And Dunkaroos. Yes. Yes. Oh, I would yes. steal Dunkaroos. Don't tell from our like elementary school cafeteria. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> so oh my God. not to have those either. And of course my mom would like go to Whole Foods and buy like amazing cookies. And in my brain, I was like, this isn't, I'm denied. You're, you're like giving me like healthy cookies, even though they tasted amazing. So it was very mental, which is really notable that just the mental part of restriction, even though I was not, I was not underfed. I was not under eating. I was not genuinely denied. I was in no famine. There was, I I had, there was no poverty. Like I, there was, it was a completely perceived denial. But was it about fitting in? Like, you know, cause you got cookies, but they weren't like the cool kid mainstream, like Chips Ahoy cookies. Was it a it social totally thing? It could have been about fitting. It, it definitely could have been about fitting in. So that could have been like part of the psychology, like mm-hmm. part of the n- denial, like seeing what's out there and having this rule that I'm not allowed to have them or that there's something wrong with those things. I just, it created this, this obsession with it. Mm -hmm. It created this inability to stop eating it. Once I had, it was like this last supper mentality all of the time. Mm -hmm. So, and, and was it because I was denied? Was it because that's the cool stuff? That's the really tasty stuff. That's the, you know, that's, that's a great question, but What's really interesting is that I, when I'm talking to people who are trying to heal their relationship with food after dieting for a really long time, one of the really important pieces is to actually allow yourself to eat, you know, food and calories and to like really take away, you know, that physical part of restriction to really like refeed the body, the fuel that it very physically is craving. But a place where people get stuck is when they have all of these like mental pieces of restriction that can be affecting their like brain body connection and appetite just from the belief that they shouldn't be doing something. It's really fascinating to see how much that can affect people's relationship with food, especially coming from genuine dieting. So it's this weird, it's almost like it's triggering the like panic and trauma, this like survival response. It's like super, super primitive, but because they were genuinely putting themselves on diets and genuinely getting to this place where the body was stressed because it didn't actually have all the stuff that it needed, just thinking maybe I should go on a diet next week. Maybe I shouldn't really be doing this. Can put you into that place where you're like, I need to eat it all now because it's going to go away. Yeah. It's, it really, it's amazing how much the brain can affect our relationship with food and, and actually chemically what our body is doing. Yeah. And subconscious. Yeah. Chemically. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So, so back to you, you back to me. Where, where are we? We, okay. (laughs) As a teenager. Yeah. Where am I? Um, so like 14, 15, 16, I was, you know, I guess all throughout high school, I then essentially became a yo-yo dieter. And I was still in this place where I was like, oh man, like, I mean, the, the panic was real. I really felt scared. I was horrified to see how much I would binge, how much I thought about food, how much food I could eat when I finally went off my diet. 
it just seemed to prove to me more and more, oh my God, like I really have a problem and this is really going to affect my health. And, you know, I had really, I had really bad skin. I would yo-yo a lot in my weight because I was always going on diets and going off diets. And then there was this looming, you know, belief and, you know, these health problems, you know, actual, I didn't really get a regular period all throughout high school and college. So the interesting question there is, was that PCOS or was that because I immediately started dieting really hardcore? And then yeah. there was this like, other and honestly, to this day, I don't really know. All I know is that when I went on the fuck it diet and started eating a lot of food and I was also super low in progesterone. So I had a natural doctor give me like supplemental progesterone, which kind of maybe I did it at the same time as eating way more food than I was eating before. I now have a cycle. So it really is interesting to be like, wow, I was trying to lose weight and diet in order to heal my hormones in quotes. And honestly, that's not only the thing that made me more and more obsessed with food and obsessed with sugar and way out of control with my appetite and, you know, restricting, binging, restricting, binging, but it also totally fucked with my hormones. Like the very thing that I thought that I was trying to heal. Crazy. So basically I tried lots of like low carb or very, like very calculated carbs and very calculated calories through high school. And I was always going from being really, really strict and religious. I mean, genuinely religious on, on a diet and then going totally out of control. And it mattered a lot to me. I mean, I was really scared about it. The stakes felt really high because of all the health stuff. And even still, I I just couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't keep it up. And then what's really interesting is I was 18. It was the summer before I was going to school and I was going to NYU for musical theater. So that was like another stressor of like, I need to be thin to match my soprano voice so I can like meet my destiny. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Your musical theater, your energy. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I don't know if that's good. or That is. I love musical theater people. (laughs) They just like light up the world. That's why I said like four words this whole podcast because you're you're killing it. I love it. I'm just chilling. <laughs> kind of foot massage. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh god. Um, so what was I doing? Okay, so it was the summer before I was going to school, and I read an article uh that featured Catherine McPhee, who I didn't really know that well because I wasn't watching uh, what is it called? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, the voice. um, American Idol. I, wa- I didn't really know her, but I read this thing in people or us or something about how she had an eating disorder and how she needed to let herself eat a lot of food in order to begin to heal and listen to her hunger. And she cited the book intuitive eating. And I was like, Oh my God, what is this? I need to read this. Cause I knew that there was something, I could tell that there was something wrong, <laughs> like with, my relationship to food, but I was just assuming at the time that it was like a food addiction that I needed to manage by finding the right diet or having better willpower. Sounds so exhausting. Like I'm exhausted right now. It was genuinely traumatizing. Yeah. I mean, it really was looking back. But that's why you're you're helping so many people. So it it was (laughs) not for no reason. Yeah. That really honestly is the, it does feel like a gift. I'm like, thank God good, like something genuinely good came from this. Awesome. Who knows what I would be doing if this (laughs) didn't happen, you know? Yeah. So I read the book there. I read the book intuitive eating. And I remember thinking, I remember being really 
moved by it and it really resonated with me. And I was like, whoa, oh, like I, I never had the insight before that dieting was a problem. I just, it was the first time I ever, ever heard it. Wow. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. However, I assumed I just like made the assumption and it's sort of in the, I mean, it's sort of like alluded to in the book. It's very, you know, I think because it was written in the nineties and publishers were a lot, I've heard, I think I've heard Evelyn talk about how it was like, they really had to train like this, like mold of a, of a sort of like nutrition book. So there was kind of stuff in there that made me believe whether I was inferring it or whether it was actually, I think it was more inferring it that if I listened to my hunger and genuinely ate what I was hungry for, that it would heal my appetite, that I wouldn't eat that much and that I would be skinny and that then I would heal my hormones. Like I kind of like immediately put it into this, okay, I'm going to do this like hunger fullness thing and I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to listen perfectly and it's going to heal me. It's going to make me skinny. And it's going to, so I sort of like immediately applied a diet. Yeah. Mentality. Yeah. Mentality. Too. But immediately after that, I like tried that for like a week or two. I kind of sat down with my mom who had been, you know, she and I had been worried about health stuff. She's the one who would take me to the doctor and try to figure out how to heal hormone stuff. And mm-hmm. we would find these diets together. Like we had good intentions, not realizing how dysfunctional that can be really quickly. But mm. I sat her down. And I was like, okay, because we, we both believed I had a food addiction. Like it seemed that I did because I would totally like binge secretly. Um, and you know, Anyway. Well, let's just play, de- just to play, not devil's advocate, but just to interject for one sec. Did you have a food addiction? Well, I genuinely believe that dieting creates the hormonal environment that feels exactly like a food addiction. Yeah. Like, like it's almost like, like you were a, just hungry. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but not and allowing like when yourself you're hungry, to eat. You're like meant to have yeah. this like, yeah. So that's the crazy thing. Like calling it a food addiction, it, it's really just semantics, right? Yes. Because there's there's so much evidence to actually show that there really is no such thing as a food addiction, like the way we're addicted to substances and Uh drugs, which is good news. However, when you don't have enough food and the body is in that state, you are wired to be fixated on food, which feels and acts exactly like a food addiction. Mm -hmm. The huge difference is that actually giving into that is the thing that gets you out of that state as opposed to cocaine, where the (laughs) The cure for a coke addiction is not doing more coke. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's fascinating. So you had kind of given yourself in a way, food addiction like tendencies. Yes. 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 And then you seem to prove it to yourself. Yeah. By, you know, like it just seems to get worse and worse and worse no matter what you do. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why people can stay in that cycle for sometimes their entire lives because it's so easy to to point to it and be like, no, 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 look, I, I really cannot eat intuitively. I really cannot trust my body because look how out of control I am. Oof. And until someone says, no, no, I, I promise that that cycle that you're staying in is the thing that's making you feel more and more and more out of control. But that's so scary. It's so scary to even begin to consider that for most people. This sounds so exhausting. It's really. <laughs> How are you like being a person outside of this? How are you musical theatering? Were you in oh relationships? Like, how are you a person? 
That's a, an amazing question. <laughs> this really was my life in, in some ways. Like it really did, you know, you could call the addiction actually um, beyond just the fixation on food. Like there is an addiction to dieting in a way that really does isolate people. Mm-hmm. And I totally had my friends and I would like, I was doing way too much. I was in high school. I was doing like professional theater. In, I'm from outside Philadelphia, which is why I moved back to Philadelphia a couple years ago. Um, I was doing professional theater in Philadelphia, like at the same time and dieting and like counting fucking calories and like trying to run, even though I was super anemic and didn't even know. And like all this stuff, like I really was so focused on it um, that it did take over and it, and it does that's the thing that a lot of people talk about. And I don't really talk about this as much though. It's kind of infused into the way that I I write about it. But people say all the time, like I like not dieting anymore and trusting, just like letting that be, letting it, letting it just be what it, whatever it is, is helping me just live my life. And like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) Social. And I know that that's what you talk about too. Like it's so important it's so important for our health, mental health, stress levels, which affect your health. You know, like you can't isolate them. Yes. You can't, it really, really is important to look at the mental health piece, to look at the stress piece, how stress affects your health, how it affects your appetite, how it affects your gut. Like it really, it really has the power to, you know, to infiltrate everything. So basically, (laughs) yeah, to answer your question, it was, I was miserable. Yeah. I was totally miserable. When I look back now, I'm like, wow, I had unbelievable anxiety. Like the amount of anxiety that I had that I didn't know. It's fascinating because I didn't even know that I had it because I was was the only life you knew. It was the only life I knew. And I was channeling all of that anxiety into essentially the religion of diets and the (sighs) religion of like losing weight. Mm -hmm. And it all felt so justified and the stakes felt so high, but I was able to kind of channel it into that. I had a lot of, um, performance and, uh, and audition anxiety that I also was like fielding all of the time. And then there was this body image, like weight, self-consciousness look self-consciousness that also went into that. And it was like, and I look back, I'm like, I was just constantly in fight or flight mode. Like yeah. constantly. I can feel that, you know, from what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, not that this is really relevant and you can tell me that it's not relevant at all, but were you even overweight, quote unquote? Like, no, I know. And you know, we should put it in quotes just because BMI can be so problematic and isn't really looking at health right. at all. But no, that's kind of what I thought was happening here. That was like, you were so focused on your weight, but you sh- not that anyone should be. I know this is a, a tricky. I want to choose my words carefully, but I know. I, know. I don't but know. Like yes. the way that we can convince. I mean, like it's fascinating because you get into your own bubble. Like yeah. you're only comparing yourself to yourself in a certain way, and like comparing yourself to tinier people than you. And right. I believe, and there's sort of this like dialogue around PCOS, and it's not true because people who are very very lean also have PCOS. Yeah, so I know someone who has PCOS who's like a twig. Yeah. There's still this like weird belief that if you can like lose a lot of body weight, that it'll help. And it does like, it really, honestly, that's just not the way that it works, but there's still this weird, like unspoken belief and sometimes spoken belief because depending on how much your doctor is sort of like fat phobic and weight centric, it just, there is this sort of weird underlying belief, not just for PCOS, but for lots of things that like, if you can just lose some weight, you're going to help 
your health problem for the most part that does not work. And it actually just diverts. It's sort of like a scapegoat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you come out of this? We're in the throes still. I'm exhausted. I'm (laughs) burnt out even thinking about it. How did you get out of this? So in college, I was a raw vegan, which was my most, I think, dramatic, like cult-like version of the diet. Um, Paleo is is a close second, I feel like. So I was a I was a raw vegan, totally nuts, like absolutely nuts. I spent literally so much money, <laughs> like I yeah, literally <laughs> so much money on like nut based ice creams or whatever. <laughs> um, I would binge on dates at like one a.m. I was starving. I was so hungry all the time. And my skin was horrible. My skin was like the worst it's ever been. I was like, I'm just detoxing. Oh no! <laughs> oh god! Uh, so that was only like a year. And then that's I'm, a long time. Oh, oh yeah, it was a, it was nuts. And and uh, literally. Stop. <laughs> and I also did I because it wasn't working in quotes. I had a couple months where I was no sugar raw vegan. What? I don't even know how you would do that. I don't even know how I did it. It was like lots of avocados, lots of nuts, lots of salads. You know, maybe months is a little long. I know it was a couple months of only fruit. So it was a couple months of only food. I did both and maybe a couple weeks of no sugar raw vegan because honestly, I don't know how any, anyone could live on. I, I think I remember that being really hard to keep up. And the fruit one was like a true state of like, this is how I'm going to like ascend this earthly plane. It was very, very nuts, but it was, des- <laughs> it was desperate. It was like, yeah. I'm going to go to the extreme because I care so much about healing and I will do whatever it takes. And obviously it just like, it didn't heal anything. And it just made me starving. My digestion was horrible. But again, because there's this big detox and I believe in detox, like I'm sort of an outlier in the non-diet community. Like I, I believe personally that my body, I have this gene mutation called the MTHFR gene mutation where you're your detox pathways in your liver isn't as strong and effective as other people. So I apply a very, very, very soft viewpoint of that because it can get super disordered really fast. But it's not that I don't believe in supporting the body to like do what it needs to do, depending on what your body needs. However, this like crazy sort of like cult-like view of like, you're just a couple days away from detoxing all of your health problems. And in that state and believing that you will accept any crazy symptom, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll through and you'll be like, I just need to do this better. I just need I'm to almost like- almost there. Yes. I'm yeah. almost there. It was nuts. So literally, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So after that, I was again. I like. I went back to okay. That didn't work. That felt pretty crazy. I think this is a sign that I need to learn to heal my my relationship to food again. So I was very hardcore into the hunger fullness diet, which is what I thought was intuitive eating. And so I was just kind of obsessed with not eating more than I was hungry for. So it was this weird attention. And I paid to like, when am I full? When am I full? When am I full? And there was like a couple months, a couple years. And it was like sort of softly. I thought that it was quote unquote working, but really I was starving all the time because I was still essentially under eating. 
And I would get hungry really, really fast. Like I would eat a meal really slowly and be like, ah, I'm perfectly full. Quick, great, perfect. And then half an hour later I was starving and I was like, oh, that's annoying. And, but I thought that there was something wrong with that. It was this like weird fear and distrust in hunger. So that was like a a time where I thought that I was making intuitive eating. And then I did, um, or I read the book, French women don't get fat. And I like infuse that into it. It was all this like, yeah, just like, you know, eat tiny little bites. (laughs) Wear cute sneakers. Don't go to the gym. Just like go for long walks and only eat half of a banana because whatever. Like it was just nuts. But then I went back after doing that for a couple years. So now I'm like 23. I'm still living in New York. I'm still auditioning. I have major audition anxiety. I have these agents that are sending me in for like humongous roles on Broadway, but because I had so much audition anxiety, I wasn't going to any auditions on my own. So I wasn't like kind of working through that anxiety or getting used to it. So I would go to these auditions. I was like literally shaking. I would do a horrible job. I mean, so like so bad. And what was the biggest role you auditioned for? Um, Mary Poppins on Broadway. Like, Like the Mary. Mary Poppins. Like Mary of um, Mary I Poppins. Had, like Mary. Yeah. Mary of Mary Poppins. Wow. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of a couple more. The only one that I ever got a callback for on Broadway was when I had mono. So I was, I was healing from mono and I was so tired. I was too tired to be nervous. <laughs> oh, wow. So I went, I you think it was for anything back. goes on Broadway. Wow. I went in for, um, What's her name? The ingenue, the boring one. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever her name is. I'm not a big And girl. I, I sang this like sort of you know, 1940s style like soprano song and I got a callback. But by the time I went in for the callback, I had more energy to be nervous and I bo- totally bombed oh, it. Oh, wow. Uh, but at the same time, I was like totally obsessed with my weight. And it was all this like, uh, my boobs aren't small enough to be the ingenue. That was like always the thing. I was like, I'm not quite tiny enough to be the ingenue. And so beyond health and beyond believing that I was a food addict, it was this, like, I need to be thinner in order to work and like do what I want to be doing. Oh, I just want to like shake old you 23 year old. I just want to shake you and then give you a hug and like give you a nap. Very soon after this, it shifts actually. Like, I, thank you. So it was actually my 24th birthday. So for, I would say like six months before that, I was like, I had been reading about paleo and how paleo heals everything, right? <laughs> People were like, oh, my, my, all my hormonal problems went away once I went paleo, once I cut out grains. And I was like, great, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I, we, I said to myself, I was like, now, Caroline, just, just remember, you sometimes go a little bit crazy on diet. So don't do that. And I was like, okay, I won't. And immediately, immediately, I was like, oh, I think I need to do this more perfectly so I can like expedite this process and oh like heal God. really, really fast. Okay. Can I just introduce, what were you healing from? Still the PCOS? Was that not under control? Still the PCOS. So it was like, well, I didn't get my period, basically. Okay. I only would when I would like take a shit ton of supplements. And I honestly think it was supplements when I look back. They were supplements that are good for, um, that were like supportive of the adrenals and like your stress hormones. Mm-hmm. I was going to think, I was going to say stress. Oh yeah. I mean, a huge, it's like a, such a huge piece for me. And I think it's, it's a huge piece in, in everyone's health puzzle too. Yes. 
So I would get a period if I was like taking like so many supplements that was completely impossible to keep up. And then because I was taking so many, I was like, I don't even know which of these is working. Like, I don't even know what, <laughs> like, it's, I don't know what is the thing that's actually making this work. Or there was a time when I was on the pill. I mean, a lot of people who have PCOS are just put on the pill. And so it's, you know, they don't even really know. I had this weird, like, I always had this weird belief that I wanted to know what was going on. I was like, no, I don't want to mask symptoms. I want to know, and I want to heal from the core. And I'm going to like, so in it, it was, I think there was something good around that. Cause I, I really wanted to know what was going on with my body. But at the same time, I was also like, a, it was because I was obsessed with like healing, like whatever the core thing was. So, which caused a lot of dysfunction and obsession and, and, you know, dieting. And I, I genuinely, I call it disordered eating at this time. It wasn't, I wouldn't probably have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, though I maybe should have been, but I was able to write it off as, as health. I was able to tell myself I didn't have a problem because I couldn't stop eating. So if I thought I had a problem, I would have believed that I had binge eating disorder. And then there is this huge myth around eating disorder where we believe that if we can't have a restrictive eating disorder unless we're super, super tiny. And that's actually uh -huh. not how it works. Yeah. But that's, you know, I hope that it's beginning to change. And I hope books like mine and other anti-diet books and, you know, books that talk about weight science and eating disorders can help to kind of debunk that because that keeps a lot of people from seeking help because they're like, I'm there's not, this shame. Yeah. Even do, even doing, it, doing it right. Yeah. So, uh. so sad. It can keep people stuck for their entire lives, genuinely. Mm. But Okay, give me your happy ending because I am dying here. Um, <laughs> I just need to know there's a light at the so end of this I was tunnel. Paleo. I was binging on like the paleo treats I would make myself. I was like totally going off the rails. Nothing was getting better. Going off of dairy didn't help my health at all, which I sometimes I'm like, I re remind myself like, you like tr have literally tried everything and those things did not help me. Now mm -hmm. I know that some people are sensitive to certain things. Like there's no part of me that doesn't believe that. But personally, I eliminated every fucking food group like for months at a time and it didn't help me. And for me personally, my obsession with food, my hunger, my, what felt like an addiction to food and what felt like binge eating disorder just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And my hormones got worse too. Yeah. I finally started waiting from some people. When I was a raw vegan and when I was paleo, I would spend so much time on message boards. I would like look at <gasps> oh. every topic. I was like, why? I mean, when I was paleo, my digestion was horrible. Mm -hmm. I had horrible gas all of the time. And so it immediately became, okay, what else do I need to cut out? What mm -hmm. else do I need to add in? What else, what else do I need to do to kind of like make this even more perfect, you know, to, to do this right. So I would like scour message boards and I started and I would, I would listen to paleo podcasts and I would like follow these bloggers. And I started seeing people who were essentially ex paleo mm -hmm. saying that going super low carb messed up their hormones. And I was like, are you fucking <laughs> I've literally been trying to be as low carb as I can possibly be for 10 years to heal my hormones. Oh, like it, my was a, it was, that was a huge, huge light bulb. And it was a big turning point. And I didn't stop being paleo immediately because I was still afraid of all the foods that 
that they'd made me afraid of. But I had a moment where I was like, oh my God, like I have been potentially making this worse. And so I started looking into that and I started reading more from those people who essentially said, you know, not eating enough food and not eating enough carbs messes up your hormones, especially for women. And it also messes up your metabolism and it messes up your appetite and makes you addicted to food or feel addicted to food. And it makes you, you know, go into the cycle. And I just, and and I was also hearing from people saying like in healing and healing my hormones, I had to gain some weight and it actually was really good for me. And it was literally turning everything that I'd ever believed about health and hormones and carbs and calories completely on its head. It was the first time I'd ever even considered that that was happening, that I was doing that, 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 and and it made sense. It was like, I kind of get it. Like it makes sense that if you don't have enough food and you're kind of in this adrenal state, like essentially living on cortisol and adrenaline because you're not eating enough food and the body feels like maybe it's in some sort of crisis that it's going to shut down other, you know, parts of you. It's, It's not time to make babies. That's for sure. Yeah. So that was one of the really big things that was a turning point for me, but it was actually my 24th birthday and I was still paleo and I made all of these genuinely disgusting, like (laughs) I called them cupcakes, but there's no way that anybody in the world would call them cupcakes. There was no icing. There was no, really no sugar in them. They were super dry. They were disgusting. Nobody else, none of my friends wanted them. I ate all of them. I was like super stuffed. I binged on them. And I had what I refer to as a genuine epiphany. Mm-hmm. Like it hit me in a bolt of understanding that has essentially stayed with me to this day. Like it was very, very extreme. And I just realized, and I was talking to myself, like in my head, I was like, you have been doing this for 10 years. You've been going on diets, thinking it's going to heal your appetite, thinking it's going to heal your binging, thinking it's going to heal your hormones. And here you are again after being paleo for six months or whatever, and you just binged on all these fucking disgusting (laughs) paleo treats, treats in quotes. And if you keep doing this, you will do this for the rest of your life. I just knew Thank you. I'm like trying to, I would say the same thing to you (laughs) if I were in this time. I'm trying, oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So it was a genuine moment of clarity that didn't go away. Like it really stayed with me. And in that moment- I understood something that I had never understood before when I had quote unquote tried to heal my eating and tried to do whatever I was referring to as intuitive eating, which was my obsession with skinniness and my attempts to stay as skinny as possible and my fear of gaining any weight and my kind of obsession from both the whatever I believed about health and also from the acting stand, like from that you know, perspective and that pressure that that was inherently messing up my relationship with food and that it always would. And so in that moment, in this, on this one day, 24th I birthday. decided my 24th birthday, I was like, I need to eat. I need to eat a lot. I need to get over my food fears. I need to see if what I'm reading about is actually true and that this actually helps my hormones and helps my metabolism. And I need to stop acting at least for a time because I can't let myself, like, I I know that I won't be able to let myself do this if I'm going on auditions and obsessed about what I look like and having to think about that. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to let myself gain 
as much weight as my body needs. And I just inherently, I mean, I knew, and I've learned so much about weight set points since then that we all have diverse genetic, you know, and it's affected by environmental factors and past dieting and lots of stuff, but it's very genetic too. Like that's a big piece of where we yo-yo. And I had always yo-yoed and I'm very lucky for this. It's the definition of thin privilege, but I always yo-yoed, you know, on a lower end. So Mm -hmm. I believed that I was going to end up at the top of that, which was a place where I had the lowest self-esteem. You know, it was always the place where I was like, none of my clothes fit. I, you know, can't go in for this part or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I felt super uncomfortable there. I have a super big boobs. So like, I'm so, like, it's very, very noticeable to me when I gain weight because I literally don't fit in the bras that I have. But I, I just knew I was like, I have to just let that happen. And I have to trust it because I have been trying to micromanage this. And I, I really think that that's at the root of my issues with food. If so, someone's sorry, if someone's listening right now and they're like, I'm there with you, I have to let this happen. I have to surrender. I have to let my body get to its set point. I have to trust what advice, like, what does someone do? Like, seriously, like that, like a trust fall, just eat whatever you want. Like what, like, yeah. How? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's literally why I wrote my book. <laughs> oh, like, fine. Because, because. <laughs> People, they have a sense of like, okay, I kind of get it. I kind of get, I, I need to eat. I need to have a trust fall, but, and then there's all of this resistance, but what about my health? But what about, you know, the obesity epidemic? What about this? What about that? What about all of this stuff that I also went through? Like I had my own like, oh shit, what am I doing? And then I would like research it and, and go through that process of like talking myself down through it and, and figuring out how to, how to reframe certain things. Mm-hmm. And and then I started writing about it anonymously, by the way. I was oh. Caroline and I my, wrote a pen name. My last name was Hagen, as in Hagen Doss, because I was eating a lot of ice cream at the time. <laughs> but I started writing about it and it was like pretty, you know, I, I definitely had people that followed me and it surprised me, but it was a very small number of people who were like listening and, and applying it and asking questions. Like on a blog or something? On a blog. I, uh-huh. I bought the fuck it diet right away. Okay, wait. What is the fuck? Like, yeah. Okay. So you're just like, I have this epiphany. I'm doing it. I have this epiphany and I I knew that I needed to eat. And it wasn't until a couple months later that I was going through the book, The Artist's Way. Do you know it? Yes. Yeah. Changed my life. Totally changed my life. Fascinating. I did it at at the same time. I didn't realize it was going to be so applicable to what I was doing because it's all about perfectionism, right? Um, like that our own perfectionism gets in our way of taking any action and we're like judging it before we start. So because I was having this crisis of wanting to leave acting, but you know, I, I've always been a writer and wanted to be a writer and I, and I wanted clarity around what I was supposed to be doing. And I felt super like it was a really big life change. And yeah. it was, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. So I, you know, I feel like it was totally fate that yeah. somebody recommended that artist. So way. tell some, tell people what it is if they don't know. It was a book about creativity. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember someone was like, you have to read this. I think it's perfect for you right now. I was like, eh, fine. Right. Like, we resist uh, what we need the most. So oh resisted. gosh, I had that happen. You know, Gabby Bernstein. Yes. So her book, Add More Ink to Your Life, where she's on the cover with wings. 
she went to my college and I was an editor for the school paper and her book came in to be reviewed. I saw it with the stupid wings on the cover and I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> Through like, no, I'm not reviewing it. And then because she was an alumni, her book was everywhere in the school bookstore. Right. And I was like, what is this girl doing? Get out. And then I graduate like six months later, go through this traumatic breakup, don't know who I am. And in my mind, I'm like, I need that wing book. Yeah. And it changed my entire life. So yeah, we resist what we most need. It's we hilarious. So resist it. And there's a lot of writing exercises. There's a lot of journaling, brain dump, um, stream of consciousness writing from the artist's yeah. way. And, and the biggest thing is the morning pages. Oh yeah. yeah changed right? my life. And I was, before that time... I was so anti-journaling. I was like, that is the dumbest thing. Like, why would writing, like, my thoughts, like, help? <laughs> I just thought it was a waste of time. I was like, there's no way that could help me. Genuinely changed my life. I look at it now as, like, a really, really easy meditation. Like, it's just a way to be with what is actually happening in your brain. And the name, The Fuck It Diet, came out because I was writing about my relationship with food. I was writing about you know, I was trying to eat more. I was letting myself gain weight. I was like doing it. I was still afraid of gluten, but I was doing it. I mean, like gluten's I was pretty scary. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Yeah, it really it is. is for a lot of people. I, I mean, and some people, again, disclaimer, some people genuinely have sensitivity right. and allergy. But the amazing thing is that even looking at the research is that people who don't have that who cut it out have worse health because they're not eating enough. They're like, they're limiting yeah. their diet in a way that is not improving their health. It is just making things more complicated and whatever. And make, yeah, more stressful. And exactly. And then a lot of people that cut out gluten that don't need to are then eating processed gluten-free shit. Exactly. You know? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. God. It's just not necessary. It's just not necessary. Yes. Um, okay. So fuck it diet. So, came fuck, out of morning so the pages. fuck it diet came out and I was like, Oh my God, that's how I feel. And I had been a writer and I had like, do you know Marie Forleo? Oh, do I? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so I had been like super obsessed with her and like super obsessed with having a website. I just didn't have anything to have a website about. So I didn't. Okay. So you're a B school grad. It was, yeah, I am. I did it after this. I did oh, it, okay. I did it a couple years after this epiphany. So I, I actually had just done, I mean, she had a lot of free resources. I yeah. don't know if she still does, but she had like so many that I was able to just like learn about email yeah. marketing and learn about like just kind of the concept around online businesses. And I was so, I thought they were so cool. I just was fascinated. Yeah. Um, so I had done all this learning. It's really interesting to see how like passions kind of converge because if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I'd be really doing this on this level right now. It's just really interesting to look back and see that. It's but fascinating. I bought, I immediately Googled if the website existed and it didn't. And I was shocked. I was yeah. like, how is this happening? I felt the same way with Party in My Plants. When I hit, <laughs> I was like, Party in My Plants. I'm like, wait, that has to be a thing. And I it wasn't. I was shocked. I know. It's such a good feeling. It's, it's the best. And it's so telling because it means that it, it's like super resonant for us, yeah. you know? So I bought it. I bought it immediately. And then I Googled. I was like, I don't even care. I'm buying this. It doesn't exist. I'm buying it. Then, of course, I did my little Google. And I was like, oh, damn. It was a joke. It was a Margaret Cho joke in 2003. And I was like, whatever. It's fine. This is just for me. Like, I'm just I'm just writing for me. I'm not trying like. And then as it started to grow, I panicked. I was like, shit. Is Margaret Cho going to be mad at me? And Wait, I, so you're telling me Margaret Cho had a joke called a like joke about having a fuck it diet. Got it. Called the fuck it diet where she was like, 
it's very up the alley of what the fuck a diet really is. People were like, wow, you've lost weight. What have you done? She's like, I was fucking sick. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I get, yeah. Okay. Going on diets. And so I just said, fuck, fuck it. it. Uh-huh. Like, so it really is along the lines. I was like, that's great. But then I panicked. I reached out Ooh. to her because I was, this is like 2013. This is a long, long time ago. And I reached out to her um, assistant. I like found it. And I was like, hey, uh, I have a website called The Fuck It Diet. And I write about disordered eating and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like making sure that that's okay. Aww. Never heard back from her. <laughs> I was like, then she endorsed your book. No, <laughs> I know she didn't. According to my lawyer, I, I asked, you know, I was like, is this like, you know, I don't want to fucking step on anyone's toes. I don't want to steal anyone's work. I mean, I know that I didn't steal work, but, and I know that it's different to have a joke and then have a whole like totally. business teaching. But I definitely, I asked my lawyer and he was like, you're so good, especially sending that email. He was like, you can't sit on your rights, man. You sent that email. You yeah. have that email. And you can't copyright a – I mean, I guess you probably could copyright a joke. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. It's super clear that she, like – She's fine. That was a joke. Like, yeah. she's she, she's Such doing her own thing. Yeah. She's doing well. <laughs> <laughs> she's sad. Um, so anyway, so that was the only thing that I found on it, and I was like, I need to write about this. Like, this – because this is how I felt. So what is a fuck it diet? What did you feel? What is a fuck it diet? The fuck it diet is that I was not able to heal my eating while I was trying to apply very obsessive intuitive eating. Yeah, because you said in the beginning, intuitive eating doesn't work. I wrote that down to circle back to. I'm circling back. That's kind of a shocking statement for a lot of people to hear. And I don't, so again, this is a semantics issue because eating intuitively is like by definition what I believe we should be doing. What I, also believe is that many, many, many people twist the concept into another diet-like thing. Yes. Either the fullness diet or they think that they're going to do it to become a tiny, tiny, skinny version of themselves. And honestly, some people do lose weight listening to their body. Some people are underweight to begin with and need to gain weight just depending on where your body feels most comfortable. Like It's honestly not one size fits all. But turning it into a weight loss thing or turning it into a way to do it perfectly is inherently not intuitive eating. So totally. Can I just ask a question? Yeah. When you say this hunger fullness diet, now that you've come out of this, don't you think that that's just eating? Like, aren't we supposed to just eat hunger fullness? But when you're coming, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. But when you're coming from restriction and sometimes years or decades of dieting and under eating. You don't even know what hunger or fullness is. You also have so much hunger Mm. that you're afraid, like it's frightening to allow it in the very beginning. And when we have this idea that we're supposed to only be hungry for a certain amount, and that's what intuition should look like. Sometimes I talk about Mm. how, you know, we say just be balanced, right? But we're not when we're coming from disordered eating or when we're coming from restricting or under eating for years on end, even when you're in the yo-yo. So for me, I was like, I'm not even restricting. Like I binge all the time, but it was this like constant putting myself back into that state. So really it had been this restrictive cycle for so long. When you're in that state, you're, you're not looking at the big picture, understanding the balance, true balance in reaction to that doesn't feel like balance. It feels like 
too much hunger. It feels like I must mm. be eating too much food. But if you can just zoom way back and understand, or even look at like, okay, so say I'd been in, in a sort of like semi famine for 10 years, 10 years, <laughs> casual 10 years. years. Yeah. And for some people, I mean, some people writing to me, they're like, I've been on a diet for 40 years, like since I was wow. 10 and 50 now. And if you had been like, just super logic, like tap into your intuition there and be like, maybe how hungry would I be? And how tired would I be for like a couple months? Maybe like that sounds so crazy. If we don't zoom out and be like, no, it actually makes sense. Like it makes sense that the body literally needs to repair, like needs to repair tissue that was sacrificed to like keep you alive when you're not eating enough. Like that actually is what happens on a diet. And one of the things in my book that can be super illuminating to people is when I talk about the Minnesota starvation experiment. Do you know about that? I don't. It's, um, in the 1940s and I explain it in way more detail in the book, but in the 1940s, they were studying in, in America, how to rehabilitate people after starvation. Um, they were going to try and see how they could help people after world war two who had been starved during the war. So in order to do that, they had to starve healthy men who signed they was conscientious objectors healthy men who had signed up to do this and their regular diet was 3200 calories that was like their i walk a little bit and this is like where my you know where i feel healthy they would like you know test it and they would monitor them and then for 6 months they cut it in half so they were only eating 1600 now that's a number that people think they should eat on a diet like that. It that's all around there. Even even lower than that. It's like oh, that's like you know, if you want to lose weight, just eat this. Well, these men could not cheat, and these men very very quickly became had horrible physical and mental reactions. Like actually, some of them like one had to go to the hospital because he went psychotic. Oh my and god! Feeding him more food actually just healed it. He just needed more food for a couple weeks. Um, they became obsessed with food. Their like super bland diet that they were being fed, uh, tasted amazing to them. They would spread it up. They basically looking at what happened to them mentally and physically, it's like, holy shit, that is what happens to us on diets and yeah. we binge. So we're actually weirdly helping ourselves by binging, but they couldn't do that because they mm. were all living there and they were like, you know, they were part of an experiment. They oh would God. sneak off and they would like, you like know, eat like a, a they piece of paper. The funniest thing is like, it's the 1940s. So like they would go to the like corner store, like in the town and like, sh like scarf down milkshakes. So it was like the most calories they could get in. Um, but they, it didn't help because that wasn't enough. So they were in the state, their blood volume shrank. They had edema. Like, look it up. I talk about it in the book. You can look it up outside of the book. It's fascinating because that was only considered semi-starvation because it was 1600 calories. And some, there was a girl who reached out to me after reading my book and they're like, I just looked up the something, the Minnesota starvation experiment it said that they were actually on around 1800 calories a day. So what do you have to say about that? And I was like, what I have to say is that it proves my point even better. Yeah. <laughs> that's still like a lot. That yeah. First of all, calorie calculations are like not exact no matter what, but to look at things like that, to look at the logic, if that much is enough to starve you essentially, or, you know, consider semi-starvation and that it took them months and months to, and, and like what that he tried to rehabilitate them. Cause the whole idea was how am I going to rehabilitate these people and how are we going to apply this to Europe when we're trying to, you know, relief for them. Um, so he like thought he assumed that incrementally, like 
like a small incremental, you know, giving them just a little bit more food would be the best way to rehabilitate them, but it gave them no improvement at all. And the only thing that helped was eating significantly more food than they'd eaten before they ever were cut, mm-hmm. you know, the, before their calories were cut. Just what our bodies and, naturally do. Exactly. And it, again, and if you just look logically, you're like, that actually makes sense. Like it actually makes sense why we would need that. And then like five of those men became chefs. And before then they had like, didn't care about food at all, but it literally created like lifelong, like I better be around food. Yeah. And so it's fascinating. So a lot of my book is reframing these fears and beliefs that we have about what hunger is supposed to look like what feeding yourself is supposed to look like, what intuition is supposed to look like, what intuitive eating is supposed to look like, what hungerfulness is supposed to look like when it's not done in an obsessive way and like what that might look like coming from a restrictive relationship with food or even like, you know, a, a binge um, repent, binge repent cycle with Boom. So what what's life like for you now? I'm now in, you know, in constant fuck it diet land for you. Are you do you ever have moments like what what's up now? Oh, moments like actually with my relationship with food or Yeah. Like is it all smooth sailing or like how you doing? It's mm-hmm. super smooth sailing. It, it really and it took a couple years to feel like I really feel out of the out of the weeds, out of the woods. That's amazing. It's out of the woods. Out of both. Right? Out of the woods. <laughs> the white weeds, the woods, <laughs> the closet, whatever you want to get out of. <laughs> I was, I'm out. <laughs> um, so I really genuinely feel healed. And I feel like somebody, I, I've become somebody who forgets to eat. And I don't think that that's better at all. But it is very, very eye-opening and telling that the yeah. girl who Yes. Was a food quote unquote addict, was obsessed with food, would think about food nonstop, felt hungry all the time. I believe that people were lying, like genuinely lying when yeah. they said that they forgot to eat. Yeah. I was like, there's a fucking way that anybody can forget to eat. Because I'm fed and because on many, many mm-hmm. levels, like mind, body, spirit, I know I will eat. And I know that if I, you know, do forget to eat, I'll, you know, may, might get shaky and I might be like, shit, why didn't I? think about that. But I know that I will feed myself. I will feed and that it's just like it's a non-issue. And so my relationship is so, so, and I'm able to, like, I'm able to feed myself things that really truly feel good. And I eat things that I before would have been like, oh, gross. Like, like what? Or like, I'm sick of that, like healthy food. Like, like what? You know, a salad. Like before I would have been like, if I eat one more fucking salad, I don't like to talk about what I eat, to be honest with you, because I oh. think that it triggers people that they that they should be eating what I'm eating or that they should be craving what I'm eating. I definitely realized that what I would do when I would see people talking about healing their relationship with food is I would look, okay, what are they eating? And then I would judge myself yeah. for not craving those things or not craving oh. those things yet or not do like not being balanced enough. So I don't think it's like imperative, but I it's just sort of like my mode to not really, I don't share pictures of what I eat. I don't talk about what I eat. Sometimes I do, but I try to do it in a very, it's almost like a, I don't know. I'm super careful about it. Well, at the end, I'm about to ask you your favorite plant. So prepare to share that. Oh, I can do that. I can have favorites. I just, I I don't know. And I just, I'm super careful about it. And then maybe I'm too careful about it sometimes, but I think that, 
it just simplifies things for me. And I don't have to like think about what people are thinking about what I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's awesome. So let me ask you this. Someone's listening. They're like, fuck it. I'm ready for my fuck it diet. What is step one? If someone's listening and they are lit up, they just heard your whole story from crazy town to Peaceville, USA. And they're like, I want in on this. I'm ready. What is besides buying your book? What is step one for them right now? What can they do today, tonight, tomorrow morning? To let themselves eat. Yeah. They're hungry for like, I think the most basic way. And then it, it gets complicated fast because people start to doubt other things, you know, and that's literally why I wrote the book, but to begin to see where in your life, you think you shouldn't be as hungry as you are, because we do that a lot. To begin to see where in life you shouldn't be. I see. Okay. We often think we shouldn't be as hungry as we are. Hmm. Why is that? Because we're sort of taught to fear overeating. So we have this idea of what overeating is and what an acceptable amount is. And it's very, it's very much the diet culture that people talk about. It doesn't, it's sort of like amorphous and in the air. And because we hear people talking about it and because we felt out of control before, and we worried that maybe we were eating too much food. So we have these ideas and it's different for everybody. Everybody has their different set of ideas about what's good and what's bad, but Mm -hmm. we have these ideas about what we should be doing, how we should be eating, how much we should be eating and what we shouldn't be doing. And just begin to be aware of those things. Okay. I think people can do that. Awareness. And begin to be aware about when you're kind of making rules that don't need to exist. Specifically. Yeah. I mean, the word should is not a good word. No, it's not generally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I think that's the first step. Just like be aware of what tiny places that you don't pay attention to, where are you subconsciously kind of policing how you eat, but most specifically how much you eat? Because I think that that's something that can be a really, a gentle way to like, oh, I actually really am still hungry. Like, would it be okay if I just didn't make a big deal about eating more? Uh, So do you feel like there's any harm or danger or anything for anyone to worry about if they're like, all right, I guess I'm just going to eat as much of whatever I want now. Here we go. Like, is there any concern that anyone could have that's like, well, what if tomorrow I wake up and I want half a dozen donuts? Do I do that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think the concern is if you have a food allergy Mm -hmm. or like any very hard and and like concrete health issue that's related to a certain food that could genuinely cause you harm. But just eating a lot of calories, I genuinely don't think that that's bad, especially if you're hungry. Yeah, hungry. if you're hungry. It's all about hunger. All right. Well, I'm actually ravenous right now. Um, not even kidding. I'm starving. So let's wrap this shit up so I can go <laughs> eat because I'm listening to my hunger. Piece. All right. <laughs> okay. What yes. is your favorite plant to eat? Oh, okay. Um, I have so many, so this is a super hard. You could do a couple. Someone asked me earlier and I did four, so (laughs) I don't blame you. I love mangoes Mm. and I love papayas. Ooh, tropical gal. I know. I know. I think I'm in a phase. I think I'm in a phase where I'm like, I just want to eat as much mango and papaya as I possibly can. Because I definitely go through food phases where I'm like, this is my favorite food. And then I get sick of it. But right now, 
And I'm totally blanking on like all the other. <laughs> that's fine. Mango papaya, we have tropical <laughs> fruit salad. But I think that right now, that's like my favorite. That's my favorite. You just eat them like cut up by the forkful. Yeah, I even put a mango in a salad the other day, and I was like, this is so good. I love that you're doing this. It's, like, not warm in, you know, on the East Coast right now, and you're, like, making summer happen. Go you. No, I don't know. It's not. (laughs) I like clementines, too. I'm, like, super into fruit these days. I like vegetables, too. I'm, you know, not not just a fruit girl, but I feel like right now, yeah. Great. What's your favorite planty restaurant? Ooh. Um, Hip City Veg in Philadelphia is really good. I'm trying to think of my other places. Yeah, Hip City Veg in Philadelphia is really, really good. Cool. That's a funny um, name. That's my answer. Hip City Veg. <laughs> Better be hip. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite thing that you do for self-care? Sleep. Mm, Seriously. Good one. Good one. Like, I am a different person if I've had a lot of sleep. And if I don't have enough sleep, I'm just super mis- like it is that basic for me to have an awesome day or to have a miserable day. It's sleep. And it's like the more I prioritize actually getting in bed earlier, it really makes a difference. And I resist it. I really do. And you I resist, resist it what we so need. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Sleep. Go for Game it. Changer. Go you. All right. Great. Easy. Relatively <laughs> simple, let's right, say. Right, simple. Right. Okay. Right. What is a book besides your own that has inspired you in some awesome way? I have to say the artist way. Mary, that perfect. And I think it applies to everyone, even if you don't consider yourself an artist. I think it's about play and it's about the creative spirit and it's about joy. And I think it's a really fascinating perspective on spirituality and creativity and and I recommend it to everybody. I love that. I'm I'm trying to eye my copy on my shelf right now. I'm not seeing yeah. it, but it's somewhere <laughs> here. And I have the workbook as well, you know. Oh, fancy. Yeah. And I've given away so many copies and had to I've been like, where the hell is my copy? Oh <laughs> shit. I <laughs> don't give it away. away your morning pages because that's private. <laughs> exactly. So where can people get your book and stay connected to you and just keep on diving in? And I mean, what world have you created for people? I know there's a world where people can just fuck it, diet till the yes. cows run home. So well, you can find out way more at the fuck it diet.com. And I have, I mean, I've been writing about this for seven years. I have so many free blog posts and I have a podcast that is essentially just like an audio version of the blog. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. I spend a lot too much time on Instagram and you, if you want to buy my book or if you want to read the beginning of the book for free, I actually have a little sign up on my site where you can sign up for that. And I send the beginning of the book and you can read it and decide whether it's up your alley or not. If you like the, that's generous. Yeah. Well, thankfully it actually helps people are like, I actually want to buy this now that I've read the beginning. And I am very, I'm very similar. Like I like to get the free sample to see if I actually want the thing. Yeah. So that's how you can immediately find out more. And then of course, if you want to buy the book too, you can find lots of links through my site or you can also, it's in lots of bookstores around um, the U S Canada, UK too, and Ireland. Get it. Woo. Yay. That's amazing. They would say the fuck it diet. No, I'm not good (laughs) at (laughs) accents. Is it spelled F U C K on all the platforms? 
It is on all the platforms. And then the actual book is the asterisk, but nice. it will come up. <laughs> It'll come up, but it actually, it's fascinating in the UK, it was not coming up no matter what you typed. And my UK publisher was like, yeah, we really don't like curse words over here. <laughs> if they finally got it to work where you can actually search the title and it comes up, but Oy, it was a problem. That's was funny. A problem. Yeah. I'm not surprised whatever amazing well thank you so fucking much for coming on today and sharing your story this was as great as i had hoped it would be yay we talked for so long (laughs) thanks so much for listening to the party in my plants podcast since this was a long one i'm just gonna zip my lips and say a big yas to everything we just discussed i'll also say that i know for a fact that you know at least one other, probably more like 29 other ladies who would benefit from this chat in their ears. So for the love of donuts, please share it with them. You can catch the spark notes of this episode plus loads more that takes the hell out of healthy eating over at partyinmyplants.com slash 146.